Well, don't look now, but the hottest two teams in Major League Baseball reside right here in the state of Ohio, the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. It has been quite a week. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. We took a week off last week. Mark Donahue was on vacation, whereabouts unknown, but somewhere near the West Coast. They had to put up with Mark and his surly attitude, but we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. Nonetheless, we've got to bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Boy, I'll tell you what, let's start out with the Reds. What a week they had, 6-0 and and swept the Cubs. You know, it's easy to get a lot of hyperbole when a team loses a lot or they win a lot. And normally a team is never as bad as the, you know, the worst uh, stretch during the year, and they're never as good as their best stretch during the year. But uh, notwithstanding all that, the Reds win today, which gave them a sweep of the Cubs and a seven-game winning streak, I think is the most important win in the last five years for this team. It, I'm not saying it's going to turn the team around. They're, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're too far behind. But this team is, is learning how to win. And that comeback today, they're down five to nothing against a team that, you know, is arguably one of the best three teams in baseball, four teams in baseball. They're down six to one and they score seven runs in the seventh inning to come back and win the game eight to six. And if you looked at the teams on the field, this four game series, I saw every inning of each of these games. It appears to me the Reds were the better team in every, in every facet. Clutch hitting, starting pitching, bullpen, power, bench, you name it. You, if you didn't know where they were in the standings, you say, well, you know, Reds got a really good team this year, and the Cubs are you know, kind of mediocre. That, that, that's how good the Reds look this series. It can turn around starting tomorrow, and they could lose seven straight. But right now, uh, Jim Riggleman has, has done a unbelievable job with this team. And, and again, right now, here, what, June 23rd, whatever it is, uh, you would think he's a shoe-in to get rehired. Now, things can go south quickly, as we as we know, but from where the Reds were at the end of April to where they are now is just a miraculous change. And if you're a Reds fan, you got to have some hope. Well, and the Indians also, they had a heck of a week. They ended up 6-0 and also. Right now they're in first place by eight games over Detroit, and Kansas City, and Mark, don't look now, but that's the largest lead of any team in Major League Baseball, eight games in their division. Should be that way because the Indians are that much better than every team in the American League Central. But still in all, as well as Houston has played, and they've played great baseball, Mark. I mean, they they are something else. The Seattle Mariners are only four games behind them. Yeah, and, you know, and I'm not trying to throw cold water at all on the Indians, but uh, the, they play in a division that has given them the chance to play poorly. I think, what, they're only five games over 500? Is that, is that, do I have that right? Oh, no, they're 10 games over 500 they're, now. They're 10 now? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but e- even with that uh, and an eight-game lead, that central division of the American League is really a crummy division. Oh, it's terrible. And, yeah. Had they played in another division, they would have been in trouble. Not saying they wouldn't have made the playoffs, but that, that the weakness of that division, where the Reds, I think, are four and zero against Central Division teams this year, uh, 
the Indians were able to tread water, and now they're getting it in gear, and they, you know, clearly are the best team in that in that division. Now, let me ask you a question: You've got the Red Sox, you got the Yankees, you got Houston, and you got Cleveland. To me, is the best four teams in the American League. How would you rank those four teams? I think Houston's the best team. I, I honestly believe that the Yankees are probably number two. I think the Indians are number three, and the Red Sox are number four. And I think it's very, very close between the top three. I don't think there's any doubt that the Red Sox are not as good as the other three teams. And the reason being, pitching. I, I think there is a very – to be honest with you, Mark, I'm not sure – you know, everybody wants to blow up the Yankees and Red Sox and what an American League championship series it would be and blah, 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 blah. The fact of the matter is the two best pitching staffs, 1 and 1A, are in Houston and Cleveland in the American League. How would you like to, how would you like to, if you're the Yankees, if you're the Yankees, how would you like to be going up against Corey Kluber in game one, Trevor Bauer in game two, and Carlos Carrasco in game three? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a formidable, uh, starting rotation and, my only question about the Indians is, offensively, there's some holes in that lineup, and I wonder what they're going to do. If, if they're going to do anything about second base, they're going to do anything about a, you know another DH. Uh, are, are they going to go out there and make a move that would solidify them as the the team to beat along with Houston? Uh, they're certainly good enough to get into the playoffs without doing anything. But do you think they're going to go out there and make a deal for somebody? No, no, I, I don't. Uh, Lonnie Chisenhall has solidified himself in right field. He's been back for 16 games. He's hitting over 350. He's throwing out people at an alarming rate. This guy's got a hell of an arm in right field. I knew he had a great arm at third base, but in right field, this guy, Mark, is unbelievable with his arm in right field. So he, they've solidified him there. As far as center field is concerned, it's Tyler Naquin and Rajay Davis. That's where they're going to go for the entire season. And Michael Brantley's right up there as an American League MVP candidate the way his season is going. Then you've got Jose Ramirez, who hit his 23rd homer on Sunday. Encarnacion's got 53 RBIs on the season. He leads the team. You've got Yonder Alonso, who has more than taken over the spot of Carlos Santana at the DH first base position. Yeah, I know we've got a problem at second base and Jason Kipnis, but you know how Terry Francona is. He is going to wait and wait and wait and be patient with Kipnis and let this thing ride out the entire season. That's just the way Francona is. It may work. It may not. But right now Kipnis is settled in to that number eight spot in the batting order. And the fact of the matter is, Mark, he, he is starting to hit the baseball a little bit better. Average up over the 210 mark, and he hit a homer on Sunday. But, uh, you know, this team is, is starting to roll into form. Now, when you look at Houston's rotation, and the Yankees have to look at that, man, you've got a rotation of uh, Dallas Keuchel, Justin Verlander, and how would the Yankees love to f- – love to face up face off with those two guys in the first two games i mean this is not going to be a walk in the park for the yankees and red sox like espn would like you to believe oh i don't think so either you know the the, the yankees rotation uh is better than i think people you know expected or really think compared to houston as an example or even compared to cleveland but their offense can be pitched to there's a lot of power there 
but there's a lot of holes in the swings of those guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, they did a lot of home runs, a lot of power. You make a mistake, and they're going to punish you. But you you look at their their lineup, a lot of strikeouts, and good pitching will exploit that. Uh, they're going to you know they can they can come in and that Houston pitching staff they can shut down a power hitting team easily uh, because they got great stuff and they got great control. Where the Yankees wear teams out is if it's secondary pitching. And, and you make mistakes, yeah, they'll hit a lot of 500-foot home runs. But I don't think the Yankees, if I were going into the playoffs against the four teams we just mentioned in the American League, I'd pick the Yankees to play against because I think you can pitch to them. The other three teams, I think I think the Red Sox, I tell you, you may be underestimating the Red Sox. I saw them play against Minnesota and uh, four or five games this year, and I, they're a good team. I mean, they they got power, they got speed. Uh, Porcello is, uh, he's an ace. I mean, this guy is a legitimate ace. And I don't know who their, you know, their, their fourth and fifth, fourth and fifth pitchers are. But offensively, uh, gosh, I, I wouldn't want to face them. They're, they're who, really good. Who, who's their number one pitcher? Porcello. Who's their number two pitcher? I, I don't know. That's what I said. Yeah. I don't know beyond him. I, I saw him pitch the other day. But obviously, they're, they're, they're getting enough starting pitching to be where they are in, in, the, in the standings. But those four teams, you know, I, I, I think the Yankees would be fourth. I'd put Red Sox third. I'd put the Indians second and Houston first in, in the American League. See, I think, the, I think the, 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 the Red Sox have the worst pitching of all the contenders for this American League pennant, as, as we hit about the halfway mark. Yeah, and, and that, don't forget, you're talking about the Red Sox. They get a ton of money. And, you know, you, you look at a guy like Di Stefani. I saw him pitch yesterday. Oh. Somebody, somebody's going to pick him up. <laughs> he, he looked really good in and, addition and to hitting a grand on, slam. Yeah, on the mound or at the plate? Well, both, obviously. <laughs> First time since 1959. I'll tell you what. This is how bizarre this was. In 1959, I was 12 years old. Okay. Now you're dating yourself. Yeah, I know. Okay. And I remember that game where Bob Perky hit a home run. Oh, my gosh. I do. I remember it because I was I was playing a little league and, and Bob Perky hit this home run and he was a pitcher and I remember being giddy about that. Just <laughs> oh my god, a pitcher and I, I love Bob Perky. He was a knuckleball pitcher and I loved to watch him pitch. So at any rate, you know the, the, these teams that that are in the upper echelon of baseball right now, uh, there's a huge gap between those four teams in the American League and the worst ten teams in the American League. And three of those teams reside in the American League Central. And that division is is really weak this year. And even if you throw in Minnesota, I mean, I don't think Minnesota is a very good team. <coughs> so, you know, again, Cleveland is fortunate to be where they are in that division. Of course, that varies from year to year. But it's, it's a sure thing they're going to make the playoffs. See, that's why then, I don't like... You and I discussed this a couple of years ago. That's why I don't like the interleague play and the way they rotate it from division to division, Mark, because there are some years when you're playing a really good division and other years where you're playing a really stinko division. And how in the world is that fair 
to the other divisions in your league when, for example, the American League Central plays off with the National League Central? Well, obviously, it's a real easy win for the National League Central, even though the NL Central's having their their problems this year, too. But it's the rotational situation that, that now the Central Division is taking off against each other. How is that fair to Arizona and the Dodgers, who have to face off with the Houstons and the Seattles of the world, when the Cubs and Cardinals, who they're going to be in direct contention with for a wild card situation, have to play the Kansas Cities and Minnesotas of the world. That's where I say this interleague play has got to go. It's the worst thought-out plan in baseball. I have no idea why they continue to do it. Do you think I really care the Reds play the Kansas City Royals? Do you think it's going to urge me to go watch them play? It's ridiculous. It was it was fun to watch the Indians play the Cubs a couple of weeks ago. Now now the the Indians are in St. Louis playing a three game set against the Cardinals. Who really cares? Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean that that that's the whole thing about it. But Mark, you know, I got to ask you this question: Do the Reds have the best hitting pitching staff in baseball? No. I mean, Lorenzen came off the bench and hit a pinch hit home run. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said that they had the best hitting and pitching staff in baseball. No. No, the, the, no, they don't have the best hitting pitching staff in baseball because they can hit home runs. They did the last two days, but they can't bunt. <laughs> and, their bat, and their batting average is really – like Romano is one for 25 from the plate this year. <laughs> so, no, they don't have the – but they got some guys who can hit a long way. And I don't know why they don't put – Lorenzen in left field when they need him. He can play left field. He was an, he was an all-American left fielder or center fielder in college. And he can hit. That's a second pitch at home run in his career. The guy can, he's strong as a mule. You know, he's 6'8", like 240. He can, he can rake. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know why they don't take a chance playing him in the outfield uh, when you need it for a pinch hitter or extra player. I mean, he could certainly do that. So, you know, right now, My- the Indians have the Indians and Reds have both won seven games in a row, and I don't think in our eight years that's ever happened. No, I don't either. And and you segued perfectly into my trivia question for the night. Congratulations, oh Mark. You win the booby prize. The trivia question of the night is, Shante O, the, the kid for the Angels, all right, that, yeah. can, that can pitch and play the outfield. Mm-hmm. All right. If he's the starting pitcher... Now, follow this question along, okay? If he is the starting pitcher, can he also be the DH? And if he gets replaced in the game, can he still be the DH at pitcher? Yeah. No. Why not? He cannot be. No, I, no you didn't. You didn't let me finish. I changed that rule last week. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't tell you about that. I, but I, I, I called Major League Baseball, and I changed that rule. It's one you've really got to think about, because for all intents and purposes, it does sound like it would be feasible. Unfortunately, the rule is, in Major League Baseball, you cannot use the DH for any other position other than pitcher. And if you take him out of the ball game at pitcher, it eliminates your DH position. Well, okay. Um... Because he's the pitcher. Okay, let me ask you this: If can he go into the game, say in left field? No. At, at, well, no, not, yes, not, yes. not as a pitch hitter, not, yes. as, not as a DH, but as a 
as a player. Yes, but the problem is you still lose the DH because the DH went into the field and the pitcher has to hit. Well, what I thought you meant was could he stay in the game, and, and I, I think he can. Let's say he starts the game, pitches five innings, they take him out, they put him in left field. Yeah, he could do that, okay, but, no, but not from the DH position. No, well, but he could stay in the game. That's my point. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the only thing is, is if they marked him as the DH, and he's the starting pitcher, and they take him off the mound and they put him in wherever else, let's say left field, they lose the DH, and the pitcher now has to hit. Which you could pinch hit for, you know, throughout yeah. the game. But yeah. I, I presume then, if he was coming out as a DH and going in as a left fielder, he would stay in the same position in the batting order. He would, and then the pitcher would move into the spot that he took on the place of in the field, which would be left field. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's, what I, I yeah. that's the question you were asking, I thought. Could he stay in the game? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move. We've gone from the, the good right now between the Reds and the Indians. Let's move on to the bad, which just happens to be in the minor league system of the Reds, where Nick Senzel is going to undergo surgery on Tuesday to repair a torn tendon in his right index finger, and he's going to miss the remainder of the season. Mark, he was having one heck of a June. I mean, this kid, uh, on the season, after missing a month with Vertigo, as you've, you've brought up a few times, he was hitting 310 with 12 doubles, 2 triples, 6 homers, 25 RBIs, 8 stolen bases in just 44 games for Louisville this year, and now his season is over. What bothers me about him is that that's the third injury he's had that has gone that where he's gone on the DL two with vertigo and now this injury. And sometimes those things are, are indicative of a player just having bad luck. And I hope that's not the case for Zinzo. Um, and I don't know if you saw the play. Apparently, he jammed his finger on a ground ball that took a bad hop. I saw the play. You couldn't really see what happened other than he, he kind of flinched. He fielded a ground ball at second base, a routine ground ball. Apparently it got him on the end of the finger and tore his tendon. It probably separated it like he's throwing a fork ball. Uh, that's the only way I can imagine he did that uh, or hit it right on the end and just compressed it. But at any rate, then he threw the lollipop to, to first base and, you know, he was taken out of the game. But, uh, this kid is going to hit. There's no question about it. There was a lot of talk uh, in the last, before the injury of the last two or three days here in Cincinnati, that Sinzel was going to be moved to left field. Mm-hmm. And and I think he could clearly play left field. I mean, Billy Hamilton was a shortstop, became the best center fielder in baseball. I think Sinzel, if you can play shortstop, you're going to be one hell of a left fielder. Now, what do you do with Duvall? Uh, I, I don't know. He's coming around. He's beginning to hit. You know, he's got 43 RBIs. Yeah. He's hitting two, 204 or something. So, you know, he, he's got some value. But I, I think they would have probably brought him up. And I also think had he had he come up, they probably would have traded Scooter Jeanette and put Senzel at second base. Now they can't. See, I think that's a mistake, Mark. I, I, you, I don't know how in the world they can even entertain the prospect of, of unloading Scooter Jeanette. Oh, I don't think they should. I think they will. I don't think they should at all. He's, he's a hometown boy. Yeah. They got him under control for another year and a half. 
this guy not only is the best player on the Reds right now, he may be the MVP of the National League. He, he is just playing great baseball. He's playing good defense. Yeah. I mean, he made three or four plays against the Cubs this week that, man, I mean, they were they were Brandon Phillips caliber type plays. So right now, he's got a high value level, and I don't think the Reds are going to be able to turn down a deal that might bring them a number two or number three starter. Well, you've got to hold out for that for this kid. You have to. He's 27 years old. He's in the prime of his career. You, you've still got, I believe, uh, two arbitration years left with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you've got him under the team control. This is a kid that can take you to a pennant, depending upon what situation he gets himself into. And there is no better team right now for him to be on than the Cincinnati Reds. It's, like you said, it's his hometown team. It's a team that he wants to stick with. And by the time the Reds, and, and that time may be coming quicker than we think, Mark, the way they've been playing lately, and I'm, I'm not trying to blow smoke up anybody's dress, but the way the Reds have played throughout the time that Jim Riggleman has been managing the ball club is nothing short of amazing. It, it's almost like a light bulb went off above their heads, and they suddenly have figured out how to win how to do the little things to win. Now, whether that's because of Riggleman or whether they've figured it out for themselves, but what I'm saying about Jeanette is he's when he is 29, 30, 31, deeply into the prime of his career, he's still going to be good by the time the Reds are good. I don't know how you get rid of this guy. I don't either, and I hope they don't. I mean, I think they can find a spot for the guy who can hit 25, 30 home runs a year. But getting back to your point about let's turn the Reds around, I think it may be more tangible than just the leadership of Jim Riggleman. At the start of the season, these seven guys were on this team, okay? Irvin, Zach Weiss, Homer Bailey, uh, Cruz, the catcher, Finnegan, Rainey, and Peralta. They have been replaced by Lorenzen, Harvey, Hernandez, Hughes, Casale, Shebler, and Suarez. Don't forget, Shebler and Suarez were on the DL at the beginning of the year with Hughes and Hernandez and Lorenzen, and they didn't have Harvey. And so they have gotten much better on the field. It's not just what Riggerman can do, but clearly Riggerman is he's pushing all the right buttons right now. I mean, everything he does is right. And I'll tell you, that bullpen they have, when you can bring in uh, Lorenzen, say, in the seventh inning, Hernandez has been absolutely lights out. Hughes has the best ERA of, of a, a pitcher in baseball for the innings he's pitched out of the bullpen. And then you've got Iglesias to, to, mop, to mop it up. I wouldn't want to face that bullpen. That is a, that is a tough bullpen. And the Cubs came in this week as a team that was red hot. Uh, they had the, the second-best pitching staff in baseball after Houston, and they, they were hitting the ball better than anybody. And the Reds, I don't know if you saw those games, Dave. I saw all four of them. The Reds just beat them. It, was, you know, it wasn't any fluke hits or anything. They just beat them. And the Cubs have to be wondering what they ran into. But this is, this is a, a red light coming in out of Cincinnati, that at this point in the season and maybe going into the second half, the Reds are a team you don't want to play. 
if you're a contending team, you don't want to play them because they're loose. They're not worrying about making the playoffs. Uh, they're having some fun. And they beat the Dodgers four straight in Los Angeles, and now they beat the Cubs four straight at home. Those are two teams that are likely going to be in the playoffs, and the Reds swept them. Here's a number for you. Since Jim Ringelman took over the team, the Reds are 29-23. and 23. Six games above five hundred. And, and don't forget, they lost the first three games against St. Louis after that change. Yeah. So, I mean, they have one of the best records in the National League for sure in that period of time since, you know, giving the first three games after the managerial change. But, I mean, they've had a six-game winning streak and they've had a seven-game winning streak. They're playing very good baseball. There's no illusions here. They're not going to make the playoffs. But, you know what? Uh, I don't know what Pittsburgh did today, but going into today's game, the Reds are only five games out of uh, fifth, fourth place, and they'd have a chance to, to, you know, to move into fourth place, which would be a, a real accomplishment for this team. I'm gonna, they're not going to catch uh, St. Louis, Milwaukee, or the Cubs, but they could catch Pittsburgh, and it's you know, kind of one step at a time. Before we get back into the Indians, I want to ask you a question about the Cubs. You saw all four games that the Cubs played against the Reds. Doesn't it appear to you, do you agree with me, that there's just something missing on the Cubs, and I can't quite put my finger on it? Well, right now their, their pitching isn't as overwhelming as it was. When they had Arietta there, but he was a guy you could, you know, he'd break up any kind of losing streak or downtime. They don't have that killer starting rotation. And I, I think that's the big difference, and that's that's why I'm convinced they're going to go out and get a Di Scalfani or somebody like that to come in and, and shore up that that rotation. Uh, but you know, they, they again, but the league they're figuring out the Cub hitters and guys that are new. The Cubs, and to me, two years ago, Cubs and Houston were the two youngest, most exciting teams in baseball. Houston has continued that that trajectory. And the Cubs haven't. Pure and simple, the Cubs have not. Uh, the Cubs are in second place now, and they're, they, to me, they, they're a good team. I'm, I'm not trying to say when you have Rizzo and Bryant and, and the guys they have, the youth and, and town, they're a good team. But you're right, there is that spark that Houston has that the Cubs don't, and I think it's starting pitching. Well, I, you know, and, and I keep hearing the rumors about Manny Machado going to Chicago, and I think the only thing holding up that deal is the fact that Theo Epstein has been trying to convince Manny Machado's agent, from what I'm reading, that he should come in, play third, so they can move Bryant to left field full-time, and Machado can play third the rest of the year, and then let them decide what they're going to do between him and Russell at shortstop during the off season, but Machado's got it in his head right now, Mark, that he wants to be a shortstop, and that's it. I don't blame him because you know Russell. He's a he's a perfect example of the league catching up with Russell. The guy is a wild swinger. He's hitting what two ten, two twenty, something like that. I think that's it in that range. And he, he to me, he, he's got an unbelievable arm. A good offensive player, a defensive player, but if you can put Machado 
I would trade, I would trade just about anybody to put Machado at shortstop and let him alone. Is he the best fielder in baseball? No. But man, he's going to hit 35, 40 home runs at Wrigley Field. Well, if they're going to give away half their farm system for Machado, um, they got to be sure. And, and especially my gut feeling is, is that any deal that they make with Baltimore for Machado, Russell's going to be involved in. Right. Yeah. Okay. So if that's yeah. the case, then they have got to be doggone sure that they're going to be able to sign Machado at the end of the season or sign him right now. And I think that's the big thing holding the Cubs back from pulling the trigger. They don't want to give up half their farm system plus Russell for a guy that may leave them during the off season, and then they're left with no shortstop. When you think about uh, – look around the league right now. Can you think of a starting pitcher out there that is a – Team changer? No, I can't either. Not that's available. No, I mean, you, 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 usually at the All Star break, you have three or four guys who are aces on other teams, and a team will pick them up and you know go to the World Series. And who, who was it last year? Uh, Verlander. Yeah, uh, or was that two years ago? Maybe no, that was last year. Okay, I, I think he went eight and zero or nine and zero. Yeah, mean, he was the perfect midseason pickup, and then they signed him long term. But I don't see a Verlander out there this year. No, I don't. That's, yeah, it's going to be a game changer for anybody. I I don't see it either. I, you know, Toronto is out of it, um, but they really don't have anybody. Um, you know what's interesting, Mark? Uh, the other team in Chicago, the White Sox. I've watched them play over the last couple of weeks. I got to tell you, they're a team on the rise. They have got some young players that are involved with that team, Mark, including on the pitching staff. That you give them two years, they're going to be right up there battling the Indians uh, for that division, if if not uh, taking it over. They're that good. They are that talented. Their play-by-play well, announcers stink, but uh, other than that. <laughs> but, you know, they've made some really good trades the last few years, uh, and, and they've made some, some smart moves that have shored up that, that farm system. So, uh, you know, that's what they had to do to be – competitive in 2019 and 20 and I have, I don't follow them as well as you do so it sounds like they've made those changes and they're, they're a team to be reckoned with yeah right now hard to believe but they're they are not in last place in the central anymore the Royals are the White Sox have catapulted themselves into into fourth place and they're nine games behind the twins but I'll tell you what without Miguel Cabrera the Tigers are a different ball club they're just going to just fall off the edge of the earth, I think, over the second half of the season. Yeah, I saw them play against the Reds. I saw the Royals play against the Reds. Uh, you know, the Reds are a much better team than those two teams right now. Uh, you know, the Reds have a lot more talent up and down. The Reds lineup, Dave, I tell you, that is a potent lineup. Yeah, it is. Nine. It really is. they got some guys who can rake, and they're raking, and they're getting better. And Suarez... Uh, he's another guy that just came out of nowhere, and he's one of the best third basemen in baseball. I mean, Arenado may be the only guy that I would want as a, a third base other than Suarez. Yeah. He plays tr- killer defense, and he's knocking the hell out of the ball. He leads the league in, in RBIs. He's hitting three, I think 305, 16, 17 home runs, and he's done, he's a great teammate. Uh, he's got, and he, the Reds have him for seven more years. I mean, that's, that was a great, a great signing they had with him. I hope they do the same thing with Scooter. 
that would solidify that infield with Bado at first, and then you have to decide what you're going to do at shortstop. Yeah. And and my feeling at shortstop is uh, they they could bring they could go out and get anybody to play shortstop, move Peraza to center field, and put somebody at shortstop. And anybody they put at shortstop, Mark, that's a good defensive shortstop, is going to hit the same as Billy Hamilton, and you lose nothing. Yeah, you know Suarez. It's interesting. He's hitting almost two seventy now, and he's been on base twenty three straight games which I did not know until a couple of days ago I started, started hearing that. Uh, he's not a flashy player. I'd say he's below average, a bit below average as a shortstop. He's making most of the plays, but he, he's, he makes a lot of contact. He doesn't strike out a lot. And you have to decide, you know, where... Can, can you imagine Machado at shortstop for the Reds with that lineup? Oh, I'd love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that would be great. Um, Talk about a power plant. But how, how, how are you going to sign the kid? No, you can't. I mean, the Reds can't afford it. But Although, although they got Hummer Bailey coming off the, the payroll next year at $20 million a year, $22 million a year. Well, and, you know, it's funny, Mark, that the Reds, let, let's just put it this way, the Reds' improvement of play almost entirely coincides with when Homer Bailey went to the minors. Yeah, that's going to be a very, very interesting. He was supposed to pitch today, I think, or was it yesterday? Yeah, they've decided they're going to keep him in the minors for at least another week to work on his motion, and he is not happy. Oh, really? I didn't hear that part. Yeah, yeah. They, they've, they've already announced they're going to keep him down there for another week, and he is not thrilled about that prospect. You know, I, I, I mean this with all love and due respect. Homer <laughs> Bailey, go to hell. Uh, you've, you've been you've been making $20 million a year for seven years. You're a 500 pitcher. Shut your mouth and stay down there and see if you can get a fastball above 90 miles an hour and not throw it over the middle of the plate. I, I wish, I hope, and maybe they have, somebody in that organization tell the guy to shut up and pitch. That, I'm so aggravated by his attitude Based on what he's done with his team, he's what one and eight this year with almost a seventy RA. The same thing last year. It's it's obscene that this guy has any complaint at all. The same with Brandon Finnegan. And I think you know, it's it's an expensive lesson to teach. But it wouldn't surprise me if there's thought around the Reds organization. You know what? Let's release Homer Bailey. Let's tell the rest of the organization we're not going to put up with that crap. And if you want to be on this team. Prove you deserve it, because right now, the way they're playing, you don't need Homer coming in and giving up seven runs a game again. Mark, speak your mind. Don't hold back. Tell, well, it, tell us what I, you I really think. I, I didn't even read that article, but I, you know, I've been festering about Homer Bailey now for two years, and his attitude, Dave. It's not, you know, some guys have tough years and you feel sorry for him. I don't feel sorry for Homer Bailey. Well, uh, he, he has not. He has not earned anything on that contract and then to have that kind of comment from him is just ridiculous well after that tirade i'm glad you don't have twitter (laughs) (laughs) you know let me let me throw a couple of uh a couple of numbers here out at you about the indians we've already talked about how they've got the largest lead in the division they're 10 games above 500 which is their high water mark for the year they've won seven in a row 
just like the Reds have. They took seven of nine on their homestand. Get this number, Mark. They outscored Minnesota, the White Sox, and Detroit fifty-four to nine in this homestand over the over the past week. And that is after they dropped Melky Cabrera, whom I, I really hope Melky catches on with another team, to be honest with you. I, I mean he was he was a great teammate on the Indians, but the problem was was that he just didn't have spring training. He's one of those guys, Mark, that got caught in between and nobody really signed him and by the time it was time to sign him, spring training was practically over. But I still think he's got some baseball left in him, especially since the fact that Brad Zimmer, the Indians starting center fielder at the beginning of the year, he's out for another six weeks with a strained shoulder. So that that is kind of off the wall for the Indians right now. That's why they've got Rajay Davis and Tyler Naquin rotating in center field. But here's the number that I wanted to give you. Josh Tomlin is located in the bullpen. He started out the year as the Indians' number five starter. When he started having problems, Mark, they took him out of the rotation and they started bringing up Adam Plutko and Sean Bieber from Columbus. These two guys, Mark, in basically a rotating starting rotation bid, since they've been coming up and down, combined they are 7-2 and two as the Indians' number five starter with an ERA under four. They have done an outstanding job for the Indians coming up and, and pitching the way that they have been for uh, for about the last two months now. About the last month and a half, two months now. It's been outstanding. What are you guys going to do with Mejia? My gut feeling is is that he's going to be an outfielder next year, and they're going to bring him up. Um, I Here's the other thing that I'm thinking, and I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm afraid I might be right. There's something missing from this kid that makes them scared to bring him up. Um. Right now, he's a blue-chip prospect in the minor leagues that they might be able to pry something from someone. Uh, we talked earlier this week about a deal that was really, really widely reported for a couple of days and then just died on the vine between the Reds and the Indians, between Amir Garrett and Rossiel Iglesias going to the Indians for Mejia and Sean Bieber. Um that that was kind of I I don't know it, it's one of those deals where each side is giving up a lot, um, but I wasn't sure whether or not it really fit what the Reds needed. It did fit definitely what the Indians needed, um, but now the bullpen seems to have straightened its way out for the Indians. But I'm just almost afraid, Mark, the way they're handling this Mejia situation, they know of a problem with him. And they're not sure he's ever going to be the player that they thought he was going to be. Well, I, I think two things. Um, most players aren't the player that people think they're going to be, <laughs> number yes. one. Uh, number two, when you first mentioned that potential deal to me last week, uh, I, I was really upset about it because I, I thought the Reds with Iglesias and um, – Garrett, 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 yeah. That, that those guys, 
that, that's that's the strength of your bullpen. I mean, it really is the the, the linchpin. And if you're going to go out and trade those two, you better get somebody that can come into your starting rotation and, and be the number one or number two guy. And right now, you know, that Reds bullpen, I, I would think it's one of the best in baseball. It's, it's certainly in the top five. Because look at the ERAs. I mean, you have, I think you have four guys under a two ERA. And, and you have, I think, six guys under a three. That's, that's a strong bullpen. And they're getting better. So I hope the Reds don't make a stupid trade like that. And right now, if, if you would, if you would break up this team right now and kind of wave the white flag after you've won seven games in a row, the fans would go ballistic. There was, there was a lot of juice down there at the ballpark, mainly because there were a lot of Cub fans in the house. It'll be interesting to see when they come back from Atlanta, they, they go three games to Atlanta this week, uh, then they're back home for a long uh, homestand again. Uh, that'll be a very telling homestand in terms of attendance because they're going to come back and play Pittsburgh. You see, they got, uh, let me see, that's not true. They played Milwaukee and the Chicago White Sox yeah. at home over seven games when they come back from Atlanta starting next Thursday. They come back on the 28th. And it, to me, it'll be a very interesting deal. If, if they say they win two out of three in Atlanta, uh, to see if the fans are back. Because as you know with the Indians, when the Indians were, you know, they were so good in the mid-90s, and then they went into their funk, it took a long time for the Indians fans to come back, even after the team started winning. And I, I just wonder how long it's going to be with Reds fans. Well, I think what the Reds have got to do, and I and I agree with you that the, uh, they need to win two out of three against Atlanta. Um, now, in the land of milk and honey, uh, I know you've said it a couple times, they're not going to make the playoffs, but me being the eternal optimist that I am, in the land of milk and honey, the way they're playing right now, if they go on a couple of hot streaks like this, they could get themselves right into a wild card situation. Then what do you do? I mean, you've still got three months left to go in this baseball season. July, August, September. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the, the standings are not in their favor because they're, there's so many games behind in, in the, in the loss column. But, you know, you could have teams, in fact, last year was in Minnesota and both Milwaukee and Minnesota were, I think they were barely over 500 and almost made the playoffs. So the Reds would have to go on an ungodly hot streak. But, you know, they've won seven in a row. That's, uh, what, nine, ten out of twelve, I think they've won now. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, they're 32 and 45. That's a total of, you know, even me being an old math expert, that's 77 games. So you've got about, what, 95 games left to go? Less than that. Yeah. All right. Let's say 90 games, and, you know, they're already 13 games under 500. So you take 90 games, subtract, divide it by two, so that's 45 and 45. They really need to win, I'm going to say 55 out of the 95. Well, again, I am not postulating that the Reds are going to – you know, win enough games to get into the playoffs. I think they're going to win enough games the second half of the year that teams are not going to want to play them. And if the pitching 
staff, if Matt Harvey continues to improve, number one, you're going to have a very valuable trade chip come the All-Star break. And the last time he pitched, he pitched very well. So he's, he was up 96, 97 miles an hour in his fastball. He had a lot of depth in a slider. Uh, this guy was an ace. I mean, this guy was the number one, number two pitcher on the Mets. And if he can come back, he's going to get you something in return or you sign him for next year. So that gives the Reds a lot of options to, to go out there and, and be competitive the second half of the year because you can get players for your players. But I don't think they're going to get into the playoffs. They'd have to go out over the next, say, 25 games going before the uh, All-Star break. I think it's 20 games. And win 16 or 17 of those games. And that that's a big order yeah. to do that. It, it uh, is. But, but that would get them back close to 500. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would. How about Hanley Ramirez being investigated for drug dealing? Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> What's I, honestly, God, I mean, he was, he always had that gangsta type, uh, you know, approach to baseball, even when he was in Miami. <clears throat> and I, the guy was making millions of dollars. Why would you want to do drugs or sell drugs? I mean, I, I don't get it. Uh, you know, the, the strange thing about it is the Red Sox, of course, what else are you going to expect them to say? They're like, oh, we we didn't hear about this until after we released him. Well, yeah, right. you know, there was a reason. Everybody knew there was a reason they released Hanley Ramirez. I mean, the guy was hitting two eighty five. Now, that's not the kind of batting average that you tr- you just release a guy from his contract and have to pay all that money to. Well, what I heard, but he was just a, a pain in the butt in the clubhouse. Nobody got along with him, and he was he was malcontent. And uh, I don't know if he thinks he's still a shortstop or not. But uh, those days are long past. Yeah, yeah. But you just wonder what kind of IQ these guys have when you have that kind of money that you're making, and you decide it's a really good idea to go out there and augment your income with a second job and go sell drugs. That's that's now, he hasn't been convicted of that. But, no, uh, no, he hasn't even I, been arrested. They just said he was being. Being investigated, probably part of the Mueller investigation. I don't know. It's just you know, just throwing that out there. By the way, um, Rob Manfred, Mark, I think we are closer now than any time since 1973 of getting a decision on whether or not the DH stays in both leagues or goes in both leagues. Manfred really wants to put an end to playing different types of baseball in the different leagues. What are, you, what are you hoping for? Well, from a purist perspective, I wish they would do away with it altogether. But the, the American League, the, the union, is not going to let that happen because, you know, it, it prolongs the careers of many players who are no longer effective in the field but can still hit. So I, I don't think that's going to happen. So unfortunately, I think that they make a change, they're going to make it effective in the National League. So you think the DH will come to the National League? You don't even think that they can add some incentives as far as the union contract is concerned to allow them to get rid of the DH? Oh, I think they'll try, but I, I don't. The, the, the way you offset that is expand the rosters to twenty-six. Yeah, and that would that would give you the same thing. There'd be you know guys to be the twenty-sixth man on the major league roster. I would do that. That's what I would do. Say, look. Yeah. We'll make it from 25 to 26. That means that 
you know, a, a marginal guy who maybe would only be a DH can still be on the roster just under a different uh, different title. Mark, I think they ought to do that anyway, and I'll tell you why. You know, baseball has changed throughout the years, and you and I have have, have talked about this. You know, back it's been 25 men on the roster for God, how many, how long? Years. Going. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, going back all the way into the 20s and 30s? Sure. Okay. But back then, Mark, you had pitchers that threw 300 innings. You only needed 10 guys on your pitching staff. Now guys are carrying, teams are carrying 13, 14 pitchers anymore. And they should expand the roster anyway and make it 26, maybe even 27, to accommodate these extra pitchers that everybody needs. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, 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 I'd be all for that. I, I don't know, you know, these guys running up and down between AAA or AA in the major leagues three or four or five times a year. Uh, that's that doesn't help them, and and it just makes it more complicated for the teams. Uh, and the other thing I think they need to address is that rule of when you can become a free agent, which keeps young guys like Chris Bryant a couple of years ago. They kept him in the minors for an extra six weeks because they didn't want the clock ticking. Yeah. And I don't, I don't blame the teams. Just, you know, I, I do the same thing. You're a year further away from arbitration and, and becoming a free agent. Uh, I, I don't blame the teams for doing it, but that's, that's one of those things I'd renegotiate if I was Major League Baseball and the union because it, it hurts both. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Mark, I, I saw a documentary. Over the weekend, well, the past week, I guess I should say, on Doc Ellis. And those who don't know whom Doc Ellis was, he was a, I wouldn't call him great, but I would call him a very, very good pitcher back in the 70s for the Pittsburgh Pirates and the New York Yankees. But his claim to fame really was the fact that he pitched a no-hitter against San Diego high on LSD. And... He, I watched this documentary, Mark. I don't, have you ever seen it? No. Okay. Um, they, they talk with everybody. And, uh, they even talked with, uh, Roberto Clemente's wife, uh, about Doc Ellis because I don't know if you knew this, but when Doc Ellis came up to the major leagues, they put him with Clemente just because they knew he had a problem and they figured Clemente could mentor him. So yeah. they, they actually roomed with each other. On the road, and then Stargell, Willie Stargell got involved with him after Clemente died because he almost almost died of an overdose after Clemente died. He was so distraught over that aspect. But he pitched a no-hitter in San Diego, but the thing about it was, Mark, he walked eight guys and hit three <laughs> dur- during the no-hitter. And he doesn't, he doesn't remember it at all. None of it. But it's funny, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is because of the current steroid issue and all this other stuff with with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. And I, I'm kind of coming around to your way of thinking. Um, of course you will. And I, of course. Well, and, and I have been, but when I saw this, and, and you've talked about this a lot, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, there were a lot of day games. And primarily only day games, really. And, you know, there were, there were some ball players in this, this documentary, Mark, that said they just don't believe, um, 
that Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, after playing an afternoon game, could go out and get themselves hammered the night that night and then come back for a 1 o'clock first pitch the next day without help. And they were talking about the greenies that were available by the handful. And the way they described it, these greenies were like belting down 12 to 15 caffeinated cups of coffee. That's the kind of energy that they would put into you. But, I mean, basically they're talking about how these greenies got them up to be ready to play a game the next day and that there was no way that they would be ready to play that game without the greenies. What what kind of stories have you heard about that? I went to the Reds Dream Week twice, and I remember having dinner with Jim O'Toole, who just died recently, a pitcher for the Reds back then. And I, I Tommy Helms and, and Jim O'Toole were the, they were there, and there were a couple other Reds players. Oh, Ted Lazuski and some other guys, and they were talking about that very thing. And they said in the middle of the clubhouse there was a big bowl, and they had these greenies in it, and guys would just go by, pick up you know three or four, put them in their mouth, and go play. The problem was that they, they if you if you didn't take something to bring you down, you couldn't sleep that night. And you'd be up, you'd be bouncing off the walls <laughs> at three in the morning. So then you had to go back the next day and get it even more greenies because now you didn't have any sleep. So it became a, a serious, a serious problem. And I forget what year that they finally Major League Baseball quietly said, guys, no mas. You, you know, you can't have those things in the clubhouse. If you're going to do anything, do it on your own. We don't want to hear about it, basically, was the message. But they they were talking about that very issue with me at dinner one night. And they said it was, you know, the Greenies. And they said that the guy who took more than anybody else they knew was Pete Rose. Pete yeah. Rose took a, he took a lot of Greenies. And I don't think he's ever denied doing that because it wasn't illegal. It no. wasn't something illegal. But I've always maintained that the the steroid deal – has been overrated and overhyped in terms of the results that it produced. Yes, it made bigger ball players, but it was on both sides of the ball. You had pitchers doing steroids. You had hitters doing steroids. So the you know some guys didn't, uh, admittedly, but for, you know I don't care how big and strong you are, you've got to see the ball and hit it before you know you have any like Barry Bonds. He was an all-star Hall of Fame player before he took any oh, of that yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I can't see where it made that big a difference, where a guy should not be considered for the Hall of Fame because he's been accused of using steroids. I, I, I've never bought into that. I've said that for years, and I, I still believe it. Well, th- they said it was 69 that the Greenies were actually eliminated in the clubhouse. However... If you went to the trainer, he would still give them to you. Yeah, and you could use it almost like a prescribed, you know, I've got an injury or I, you know, something happened and I got to have it or something like that. That's how they approached it. But it was it was much less controlled back then in, in those days. But I remember specifically the guys talking about the late 60s uh, at dinner that night uh, about how the, the greenies were really – so open and prevalent, and they 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 agree with me basically that 
uh, you know, you could be the strongest guy in the world. It's all—it's going to be hard to hit a slider, you know, no matter who well, you yeah. are. Yeah, especially so, if you're out on a bender the night before. That's right, and it's—I uh, think the, the press has guys who've never played the game. Uh, I hear these writers, you know, getting on their soapbox. Well, Barry Bonds—he defiled the integrity of the game. That's BS. Uh, Barry Bonds was a great player, maybe one of the greater players of all time. And, and now he's got this stigma against him. Uh, you know, let's uh, let's talk about the integrity of the of the Writers Association when Dan Lebetard allows a bunch of fans to fill out his Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, I mean stuff like that. It, it's there's so much hypocrisy about this stuff, and and they again they get on their soapbox and preach as if these guys were convicted murderers or something yeah uh they in a lot of cases they were recovering from injuries and they use bonds and they use nolan not nolan ryan um roger clemens roger, roger clemens as the two poster boys and palmero and those guys those are all great players before you know they, they got into the, the steroid stuff what we don't know is the guy who played 15 years in baseball, hit 270. He was on steroids. If he hadn't been on steroids, he probably would have hit 210 and been in AAA. There was a lot of those guys, a yeah. lot of those guys. And you just don't hear about them, but they, they partook, whether they're a pitcher or a hitter, and nobody, you know, punishes them because they had a great career. You know, Bagwell was the guy that they, they say was on the stuff, and he escaped. Yeah. Uh, so, so how do you how do you know? That that's why I get upset when they keep him out of the Hall of Fame because of this accusation. Mark, it's the age old question: If you're a young player and you could take steroids and be guaranteed a thirty million dollar contract, are you going to do it? Maybe I am on the juice. I tell yeah. you that. You know, and 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 notoriously, all of the young ball players would do that. You know, hey, we didn't have a chance to bring it up last week. This happened a week ago, but Bruce Keeson died, a former reliever for the Pirates. I was, he was only 67, Mark, but he kind of changed the way um, relievers were used in baseball. If you if you recall, boy, in that 71 World Series, he saved the Pirates' butts a few times against Baltimore. I remember him well. And, you know, he started a number of games with the Pirates, too, in the 70s. And, you know, that, that team, the Pirates in, in the mid-'70s, were just a great team at the wrong time because they yeah. they got beat, by, got beat by the Reds, you know, two or three times, uh, and that deflated their, their history, as it were. But that was a very good team, and Bruce Keeson, uh, I remember him, tall, lanky right-hander, and he had a, he had a nasty stuff. And uh, that, that was a very good team the Pirates had back then. You know, the thing – and I want to say this quickly because we're, we're running up against the clock here. But one of the things that was talked about on the uh, documentary was in 71, Danny Murtaugh was the manager of the Pirates. He put out an all-black and all-Dominican Republic lineup. There were no white players on the field, and it was an afternoon game against the Cardinals. And nobody noticed it until the third inning. Nobody figured it out. And yet, not even Murtaugh knew what was happening. But they had all, all uh, 
ethnic players on the field. There wasn't a white player on the field that afternoon, and it's the first time it ever happened in Major League Baseball. Well, I bet it hasn't been the last. Oh, God, no. Absolutely <laughs> not. Hey, what do the Reds have going this week, Mark? Well, they go to Atlanta against the first place uh, Atlanta Braves, surprising Atlanta Braves uh, after the seven-game win streak. And then they come home uh, for three games, we say, against uh, who do they have here? I had that scared. Milwaukee. Right Milwaukee. And, again, that, I think that homestand – after they go to Atlanta, three games, actually four games, starting next Thursday night against Milwaukee. Uh, that, that could be very, very interesting about what this team does the rest of the year. By the way, you want an interesting stat before I let go, let you go? Sure, Dave. Who leads the major leagues right now in most pitches thrown this year? Oh, that's a team that walks everybody. Um, uh, I'd say the Cubs. No, I'm talking about an individual pitcher. All individual pitcher. Yes. Oh God, be a starter. Yep. Uh, yep. National League. National League. Uh, Eastern Division. Syndergaard. Max Scherzer. He's thrown over yeah. seventeen hundred and fifty pitches so far this year. In second, strikes everybody out. In second place is Justin Verlander. The third one, the third place one, will shock you because he's only twenty pitches behind Verlander. Trevor Bauer of the Indians. Wow. They've, they've thrown over 1,600 pitches. A lot of season. strikeouts with those three guys. A lot of strikeouts, along with Corey Kluber, who I know is in the top ten. The Indians, by the way, Mark, they've got, they're have got they in St. Louis on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday, and then they are off Thursday. Then they go to Oakland for a three-game set against the A's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll talk about it next Monday night. Thanks, Mark. All right, Dave. Have a good one. You too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks a lot for joining us here this evening. And we will be back next Monday night with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until then, have a good week, everybody.